from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Butler steps in for the steal and slam. Jimmy Butler doing it all. It is the Jimmy Butler Show tonight in South Florida. It's a rebound by McCollum ahead for A's early release. Another jam at the other end as he sledgehammers it in. Leading by as many as nine, trailing by eight. It's off to Jones, quick feet, corner three. Ingram got it! <laughs> it's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a busy Wednesday, Battleborn Broadcast Studios, Battleborn Broadcast Center. John Von Tobel is in as the company today, as uh, we've got Justin Watkins, ESPN Las Vegas Legal Insider coming in in just a couple minutes. Why not, right? It's his studio. we got three hours on the way. Lots of UNLV news to open with. Wasn't exactly the plan today. NBA playoffs, VGK. Uh, I was going to say do or die, but it's uh, maybe just not die. I don't know if the do is going to do anything at this point. So we got all that coming up and uh, lots of NFL as the show moves along. It's the three on Cofield and Company. So it's funny, John, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, joking with uh, one Adam Hill that I swear every day as I was driving in and no matter where I go for the show, it's usually a short drive at, at the most a half an hour. I always miss something that was breaking and I missed a couple of things today. Actually, b- before the drive, I don't know how I missed them. Uh, I must have been uh, jerking around doing some other stuff today instead of prepping, but actually a really good day for UNLV basketball and football. It looks like UNLV football is going to retain Doug Brumfield, one of their quarterbacks who went into the transfer portal last week, which is big. So we'll get to the details of that a little later on as Caleb Herring, a former UNLV quarterback, will join us in the 4 o'clock hour. And, you know, things have been pretty quiet with the way Kevin Kruger and UNLV basketball have been operating in the transfer portal. You've seen a lot of schools out there mentioned on lots of lists and players have names out there. And UNLV has kind of put together their transfer portal entries, or I guess exits, as you would call them, pulling players out of the portal in quiet fashion. They've added now three good defensive players, all with offensive upside. Today, the latest is uh, Luis Rodriguez, who was at Ole Miss, makes it three of the last four. There's four total. Jackie Johnson was the first from Duquesne, all guard at 5'11". The other three are all from Power 5 conferences, uh, one coming from Colorado. Elijah Harkless coming from Oklahoma, where he averaged 10 points a game this last season and actually played a season for Lon Kruger. And now the latest in Rodriguez, who was highly sought after uh, a 6'6 wing. Uh, he's a guy who actually did visit NC State, had been contacted by Arkansas, K-State, Indiana, Louisville, Colorado, Georgia. So we're still waiting on to see what happens with Donovan Williams. I think that's about a 50-50 proposition. If you listened last week to Kevin Kruger, he kind of put it this way saying, hey, if Donovan has some good workouts around some NBA people, he might go in the draft. If he doesn't, he could come back. Like it was that much up in the air. So I think they're prepping. My feeling is they're prepping to not have him. And Rodriguez is part of the plan. And now they've got some bigs visiting. They've got a 2022 freshman big visiting. They've got a Wichita State big visiting tomorrow, so it's coming together here pretty interestingly. And uh, I would say the bigger news is probably 
Brumfield because it stems the tide on a some recent transfer portal entries from the football program. And I do think they need three quarterbacks. It's weird. John, last year they were in injury trouble at quarterback almost the entire year. And they get a transfer in from Harrison Bailey. And there are a bunch of Rebels fans who are like, he's the guy. Don't need anyone else. No, look, you, you need, you need depth of quarterback. Well, it, the weird thing about that is it's not like it's just been last year for UNLV football that injuries have hit the quarterback position very hard. Right. Armani Rogers, right. a couple of years ago, the, the season really went, you know, in the tank because he missed the, much of the middle of the season. And that, that probably cost, in the long run, Tony Sanchez's job. Yeah, I've always been of the mindset, like watching the way that the quarterback position has unfolded for UNLV over the last couple of years, that, that as many as you can have in that room that you feel confident in, I think that is really big. I think you need that much depth. We've seen that much. And I would agree. I mean, I would agree for the most part in terms of which one per- piques your interest a little bit more. But I would say, too, for UNLV basketball, like if Williams is going to go, that was second in usage rate on the team, second most possessions run through him. He's not going to be there. And I know you, you mentioned that little guy from Duquesne, but where that usage goes now for the team as they kind of move forward after a pretty productive season, I, I'd be very fascinated to see how that kind of breaks down. Next level basketball. Um, I'm watching Suns and Pelicans. Suns are down nine. It's 90-81. I'm like, come on. Suns are going to win. I don't care that you know Devin Booker is hurt. I lay one and a half. They roar back with an instant run. They take the lead. I'm like, all right, this game's over. Next thing, I look up, loss. Mm-hmm. What the hell happened down the stretch? So I think what the Pelicans, for those who haven't been paying attention, the Pelicans, I think, one of the more fascinating teams in the NBA. So what they did at the end of the regular season at the All-Star break, they changed their starting lineup. And they went, I remember, I've talked to you about this, right? Uh, like the big power forward, Jackson Hayes, Jonas Valanciunas at center. They've just been grabbing offensive rebounds and going crazy. Well, against the Clippers, and then in the first game against the Suns, that got played off the floor. They can't do it. Smaller, smaller lineups, both teams got played off the floor. Can't really do it with two big guys. So what Willie Green has done, both at the end of the game and game one, remember when they kind of came back and made it pretty interesting but ultimately didn't cover. And then what happened yesterday, Larry Nance Jr. is playing center, and they're super small, and they're running up and down the court, and they're beating the Suns in transition. There was one play last night where it looked like the Suns thought the Pelicans were going to call a timeout. And the Pelicans were like, nah, we're just going to sprint down the floor and try to score another bucket. They did it. So the, the, the Suns are having a lot of trouble with that small ball lineup. And they're having a lot of trouble with the speed. And that's kind of troubling because last year they were actually the worst transition defense in the NBA. They got much better statistically this year, but you're starting to see it again. Well, it sets up the scenario down the road. If Golden State can continue oh. to go with the small lineup, can the Suns, even with a 1,000 wins in the regular season, find a way to match up. We'll break that down a little bit more later in Cofield and company in the Bay Area. Debo Samuel has officially requested a trade, said it's not about money. And in the last half hour, we're getting indications he doesn't like the way he's used, which that is kind of a big deal because, you know, there were so many people out there who were like, man, this guy's a unicorn. He runs the ball. He's a receiver. Apparently, I guess he doesn't want to be a, re- a running back at times, or maybe he's just setting up the market like, hey, Tyreek Hill got $30 million. Right. Devontae Adams is only a wide receiver. He got $29 million. Christian Kirk is only a receiver. He got $18 million. Debo wants his because Debo plays running back too. So, I, I've, so I've, I've gone back and forth on this. I feel like part of it is usage, but it's maybe due to health. I mean, so Cynthia Freeland, who works for NFL Network, put out these numbers. His first 33 games for the San Francisco 49ers, uh, including playoffs, if you look at his alignment percentage, 2.1% of his uh, the plays, he was out in the backfield. That went to 21.1 his last 11 games. And we know about the running back position. I mean, that's, that's a very physical position. And he's a really good player. And he's really good at those plays. But I also feel like part of this is like, hey, man, like 
I, not only do I want wide receiver money, I kind of want to take care of my body. I, I don't want to be broken down and just be running plays out of the backfield this entire time. Do you think that's his concern, or is it the positioning for money? I would. Because I, I, my guess is he's. A, I think he's a team player, and I, I don't. I'm guessing he doesn't mind running the ball, but he should be paid for it. I, I think it's skewed more toward like the money thing, but I think that's probably a bigger part than we give it credit for. So we got the A's game on right now, which is a, a, a moved up game to three oh seven, and I swear so far TV has not fired out a wide shot. Everything has been a tight shot, so we can't see the crowd. I don't know if they're doing this intentionally, but I'm trying to see how big the crowd is. Obviously, Vegas is involved in this whole deal with the A's management, battling the city council. Uh, you know, I think the mayor wants them there, but obviously there's some hurdles. They will not go to a wide shot. I'm guessing this crowd, based on last night, which was under 4,000, and I, I think that's still may have been overshooting it. 3703, wasn't it? It Something was like that? Yeah. tiny. And from all reports, the Aviators – without really a good crowd because of the win yesterday, actually outdrew the Major League squad. So we'll get an update on the way back. Justin Watkins is going to come in. We're going to talk some VGK. We'll also get to more of this uh, A stuff and public money here in Vegas and turn that into a conversation. And there ain't no one in the outfield. Turn that into a conversation also about the $3 billion project that involves zero public funds that may bring an NBA team to Las Vegas. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. So much to cover. You know, we were just talking about UNLV getting some uh, basketball commits and one of their quarterbacks pulling his name out of the transfer portal, Doug Brumfield, back with the Rebels. We can barely get UNLV in the convo anymore over three hours because we're tracking so much going on around Vegas. And then Vegas-related stories like the A's. Mm -hmm. Justin Watkins is here with us. We were just watching the beginning of an early start game. And yesterday there were about 3,750. That was a reported crowd for game two of the home series for the A's against Baltimore. And... They haven't really taken a wide shot to show the whole crowd. I mean, there's no one there today. Yeah, I mean, we. <laughs> I would love to see what behind the plate looks like. They haven't given us that view, but they show they show the outfield, and there's more people Ooh. working security in the outfield than there are fans in the outfield. I mean, it's single, yeah. uh, low double digits. Is this like? Could this be less than fifteen hundred today? It could, I mean, they just showed the third baseline. It did not look good. This is crazy. Look at that. Oh wow. So I know we've been covering this just about every week. <laughs> What's so last week we talked about the story in the New York Post where you know Governor Sisolak could block the A's from coming. He can't block anything. Um, can he dissuade? Of course. Does he have political sway? Of course. And at issue is will baseball allow if it is a private funded baseball stadium that could be on the way? Will baseball be comfy allowing that to happen? When I just saw Nashville today has a, a group led by um, Dave Stewart, uh, two billion dollar you know expansion to go to Nashville. Could baseball actually allow a privately funded, like zero public money stadium to be built in Vegas? Doesn't it set just a terrible precedent? Yeah, I I agree with you. I'm I'm, I'm I follow your logic there because I know Portland's trying to make a good push for a team. They got you know a whole bunch of things already set aside. They already have the laws in place to contribute if. MLB will agree to go to Portland. So you know you could get public financing in Portland. You know you can get public financing in Nashville. And 
I, I know, you know, it's, it's the popular place to be for sports to come to Vegas and assume that it, everything's going to work and it's going to take off and be wonderful. But frankly, you know, I think the NBA is much more likely to, to blow up here than MLB as the third professional team, you know, franchise in here. I think NBA can come whenever they want. and They're going to do great here. I don't think MLB is in that same category. I don't think so either, especially it's this team, right? Yep. The team that when they'll be competitive for a couple of years and sell everything off and that's about it. And the biggest attraction is playing the ballpark here in Las Vegas right now today, right? I mean, there's nothing there. So I would agree with that. Like, I think in terms of popularity and also, I mean, I don't think it's worth having this team with it, public money, all of those sort of things. So I would agree with that sentiment. I think they're going to be struggling for support out here. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna ask for public money, you better show that you that ownership group's gonna invest in making a competitive team. There's right. gonna be a tit for tat, especially if part of that play for the public money is well, we're gonna have so many people who come out here and visit. It's beneficial to Las Vegas for us to have a team. I can get on board with that unless you're not competitive ever, yep. and nobody's gonna want to come. I mean, yeah, sure, anybody come out the first year, maybe two to, to a new stadium, but after that, it you need to be competitive you'll get the occasional person like like so like me and my wife already bought tickets for a that we're going down to see san diego and philly in yep. june right yep so we got two tickets for two games it's, it's gonna be fun you get the occasional person like me who wants to come to las vegas but like over the long haul yeah you know what i mean like let's go watch an a's game out in Vegas. like i don't think there's gonna be many people wrapping a trick putting a trip around that kind of an event right but if you have a competitive team that's in the playoffs right. and you're stub hubbing those suckers i mean the secondary market on that would be crazy yeah, if yeah. they do right is there, what potential downsides? What are we going to get hit with on the no public money three billion dollar project that's at you know Blue Diamond Windmill LV Boulevard that you're going to have potentially the Brightline Station there and a twenty thousand seat arena? I mean that land is also earmarked for a potential MLS stadium, but it's, it's supposed to be a a mega project. I mean, we're going to pitch in something, right? Well, is there I'd be, be there's sure. There's going to be some kind right? of zone. There's going to be something, right? Well, Governmental Bri assistance. Brightline is already, you know, that that's our co contribution. I mean, that's what makes that land valuable if Brightline ever gets done. I mean, uh, talking about a train to anywhere out of Vegas is like, it's hard for me to even do it with any sort of credibility because for my entire life, they have literally been talking about this. My I was born here. I'm 42 years old. They've been talking about this my entire life. And they've been right on the doorstep, according to you know the, the, the experts, about how this is going to happen. Um, this seems like the closest we've been, but I'll believe it when there's a shovel in the ground. Um, but that's... I mean, the, the public bonding that they've asked for for Brightline, if memory serves me right, $750 million on our side of the border and another billion on the California side of the border. Um, and that's not even – that has nothing to do with the road improvements that would need to be placed in that area. I mean, I live out that way. That, <laughs> that area is not prepared for just the Brightline station. Now, you just put that there. It is not prepared for that. And then you're talking about putting two stadiums there? Get out of here. Warm, they uh, expanded Warm Springs. It's better. <laughs> no, yeah. man, come on. Stop it. it, it everything out oh, there. The little bridge that goes over. Yeah, the bridge is nice. 15. It's nice. You're talking about the, you're talking about the words. That thing's 15 years old, bro. That's yeah. been, that's been there a while. And, and once you get over there, 
Warm oh, Springs yeah. goes down to one lane each oh, yeah. direction. Tons of dirt. It, no, yeah. that area is not prepared for anything remotely close to that. And you know what? I'll, I'll feel I'll feel bad. I'll you know I'll enjoy it. It's cool for me because it's close enough that I, I can access it, but not so close that it diminishes the value of anything I own. But there are some old school Vegas homes right behind the old outlet mall over there yeah. that you know horse properties. Some you know houses that have been there for a very long time and on some decent property that uh, you know I think would be really affected by. Uh, a project of that size and that significance that um i mean i'm not saying that it shouldn't go there but i i would feel bad for for some of those um long-standing homeowners never been on a train before is that right yeah never well, i mean it makes sense you grew up here right like he said like, i've been like, hearing about a train before but like a subway oh, okay i guess I, one time i went to new york and i rode on the subway and then they get I above ground you get above ground subway no no never. no so okay. i've never ridden a train in the daylight with that <laughs> above ground yeah okay never chicago on the l no all right not a well-traveled man like you guys that's that's my only experience that's my experience i haven't done like a train train but i hear i hear you if you do yeah (laughs) (laughs) right that's how i see it but i was just i was just in london last week and so you know you i didn't ride like the the bullet train the tube but then you go the the london overground when you get out from underneath the ground and that's a train yeah but it looks it, to me, it's just like a subway above ground. I don't. It's not like one of the ones you see the pictures of in Japan that are flying three hundred miles an hour. Yeah, I want to. It's a whole different like world. I, the United States, we can't even imagine that. The oh, on the no, east, yeah, that'd be cool. The East Coast, you guys got trains everywhere. Yeah, they're not bullet trains. <laughs> no, well, that's not going to happen. Freaking old school New Jersey Transit and uh, and Amtrak. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the uh, the Northeast Corridor, which includes, in my mind, uh, DC. This Dan Snyder stuff is really interesting. So it's a, a former club employee for upwards of like 25 years, Jason Friedman, who's the one who came up with the, basically they were, they were skimming money and keeping money from the other NFL owners. Uh, we've now had a week to kind of digest some of the information out there. What have you seen? And now apparently the FTC is involved. Yeah. So, I mean, what I've seen is sort of the, the commanders get their ducks in a row in, I'll say a strongly worded response to the allegations and who cares about strongly worded? What's the support? I guess they attached 83 affidavits. So that takes some work. And it's when you have those kinds of numbers, depending on what the affidavits say. Now, sometimes you'll see in lawsuits, you know, hundreds of affidavits attached and literally every affidavit is worded identically. And that to me is garbage. Like then throw those out. But I don't think that that's the case here because they've got affidavits across different spectrums of departments. So they I don't believe they would be worded the same. I haven't seen them. And as far as I can tell, they're not public record um, yet. But if they are individually worded affidavits that that speak as if that person is speaking, then having 83 people say this never happened and here's what my job was and I would have known pretty strong evidence so then the next question is are they going to go after friedman right they're going to sue him for defamation the answer is they can't right he's cooperating with an investigation so if they tried to sue him that he would be able to get the case dismissed on what's called anti-slap which is i'm participating in a public hearing public investigation and so anything i say there is immune from claims of libel and slander and all that different stuff. Defamation case cannot arise out of my 
participation uh, working with the federal government or state local government if I'm compelled to cooperate, which he is. So there, there won't be a lawsuit, and the commanders are clearly taking this seriously. And I think that at least at this early point, seem to have their ducks in a row. Again, if the 83 affidavits are all identical, then uh, then I'm less impressed. You think being an attorney for the commanders around Dan Snyder is that a good job? You're, at, you're at work all the time. <laughs> you yeah, get, you get a lot of run. Like it's never boring. <laughs> I think or is it so. A living hell. I don't, I, I don't. I don't know. You know. I don't know. What, you know what attorneys think is a good job. I think so. I think that most attorneys that go to, you know, good schools would think being general counsel for any professional franchise of any kind would be a, a cool job. Whether it's a good job is different. Um, you know, sometimes when you work in-house at those places, you're expected to know everything, all these different areas of law all the time. And the reality is when you're in-house, you, you know less and less about more and more not more and more about less and less right like you 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 just become just dangerous enough in your ignorance on all these different topics so if you don't have a good owner who allows you to then go engage attorneys in their area of specialization it could be super stressful because you never feel like you know exactly what you're doing this show loves winning time on hbo well it's put some Lakers, former Lakers, in a bad light. On the way back, the the guy who, I don't think he looks the worst, but um, it's a little bit different than we all thought about Jerry West. But yeah, Jerry West is pissed, wants a retraction, wants an apology. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. All right, let's hit some more legal stories with Justin Watkins, Battleborn Injury Lawyers. We're here at the studios. Did you see the decision to overturn, refund? The $550,000 plus that a dude paid for the uh, Tom Brady final touchdown ball. Yeah, I that did. That was the right decision, right? I mean, from a PR standpoint, but I think legally they didn't have to do that. Thank you. They absolutely did. What are you rooting against? Screw, screw that guy. Yeah. He's spending I mean, that much money on something like that. They were saying, I mean, Gronk was saying before that football even went on auction, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back. Like, he took on that risk. He took on that risk. I mean, the only thing that would have nailed it down any further from the auction house is if they air quoted last. (laughs) You know, if they just kind of said, you know, last football saying, hey, nobody knows. But if he if he is really retired, this is it. And would it have gone for much of a different price? I don't think so. I still I still think it would have gone for about the same price. So I don't think they had to do it. But it was in the publicity. It, it made enough noise. They're an auction house. They got a business to, you know, maintain. Yeah. So from a PR standpoint, I guess. I, w- I don't know if I would have done it. I would have said, hey, man. At the time, it, it still is. It still is his last touchdown. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's a good point. Yeah. See? That's, you know, I, uh, that guy. I can't yeah. wait until there's a tell-all about the Patriots. We kind of got one yeah. a couple of years ago about the tumult between Belichick and Kraft. And this thing with the Lakers that Jeff Perlman wrote, Winning Time, the rise of the dynasty for the Lakers on HBO. I mean, there's some stuff that are that's you know clearly is uh, exaggerated a bit, but I think it shocked a lot of people early on that 
the portrayal of Jerry West is kind of a an embittered, you know, retired basketball player, you know, angry, cussing, hates Drunk. the Celtics, Drunk, yeah. drinker. Um, I mean, they portray a lot of people in a light that's not great. I actually think Kareem comes off great, uh, but I already knew. No, I mean, he's he's a sullen individual, very right. serious. He wasn't about fun. He really like kind of comes off as not even really liking basketball that much. You know, about eight years into his career, like none of that shocked me. Um, the Jerry West stuff, though, like a lot of especially media people got all pissed off about it. And now West has had some lawyers write up. Well, what do you write up to tell a TV show? You know what? I don't like your portrayal. I want a retraction. I want an apology. Yeah, no, I think he, I, he's got some good lawyers. I'm going to tell you, I looked into it, you know, what what he's provided, which is some really well-worded affidavits from the all the people that were involved at the time saying we never seen anything like this it's beyond dramatization it's just it's inaccurate right none of these situations ever happened he wasn't like this and we never told anybody that he was and so it becomes this you you can't i think we all accept this this idea that you can't just throw up there you know based on a true story or some of these uh, events have been dramatized for purposes of a film and everybody goes well Okay, then you can say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we can all accept that, that that that's not this this get out of jail free card that you could just slap down and then say whatever you want. Now, where does that line exist? I don't know, but I think I think the stuff that Jerry West has put out there puts him pretty dang close to over the line, which is you dramatization requires that at some point there is a thread of truth and he's saying you don't even have the thread and you didn't even try because you 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 dramatized stuff that was not in Perlman's book you you made it up and so I think he's got a shot here and I I mean what's it gonna look like they're not gonna they're not gonna he didn't sue him yet they're gonna say hey listen these events that are portrayed we have no actual knowledge of them ever occurring as part of our dramatization, we created these events and they will be negotiated with West and there'll be, you know, 18 bullet points of things that they agree that they had no evidence that actually existed. They added them in there for purposes of dramatizing the show and increasing its entertainment value. It is not meant to be a historical feature. Will he get money? I don't know that he even if that's even his goal. I think if he gets if he gets the admission, it'll make enough news that the money's not. Don't doesn't it mean that a bunch of other people are going to come out and go, hey, that you know they made this up about me too? Like I think yes. I don't know who, I don't know who exists in the estate of Chick Hearn, but if they show Chick Hearn one more time like pouring a little bit of liquor into a cup during the game, which I I'm like mm, okay, that's interesting. Right. I mean I I I buy I buy everything that I see because yep. because I think people I. J- a lot of times, people who are who come off over the years as pristine, there's a little bit of an underbelly there. Right. I'm not. I have no idea if Chick Hearn was you know getting a nip during the game, but I would think his family would be like, "This is bullcrap." Right. Well, you got to show you're damaged, right? So, it, w- to what extent does Chick Hearn still have a marketable name, and are they be able to profit off that? But yeah, I mean, I agree. That's why the, it's going to be difficult for them to to make that admission. And it's also why you don't see these like based on true story dramatizations, like while everybody's still alive, right? Right. because because real life isn't as dramatic. It's not as entertaining sometimes, although I think that this probably was. I think they could have told a true story and 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 used the drama label. See, this is what I think. 
in, and I don't know this to be a case because I'm not in movies and I'm not in shows. When I see, based on true stories, some events have been traumatized, I'm like, they just didn't have the proof, but this is what they think actually happened, right? right. That's what I think. But and I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he was uh, drunk. Okay. But, but also, like, the Blair Witch Project has that same tag, right? Like, based on true events. Right. I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like, because you said there has to be, a tr like, a thread of truth somewhere. Right. Like, my question would be, well, where does the thread need to begin? Because... The Lakers got Magic Johnson. Like, like there's a very basic sense of truth throughout this entire show. And I thought, like, I don't know if you guys read Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's like essay on it, mm -hmm. um, but he wrote really well. And one of the paragraphs he says, he's like, he's like these all these character traits, like all these people in this show are just one single character trait ratcheted up to eleven. And mm -hmm. he's like, and that's what he doesn't like about it. And I, I think that's very easy to see in something like this. Right. Well, to me, that is dramatization. Yeah actual character traits that exist ratcheted up for an entertainment value what jerry west is saying is these are not actual character traits yeah. you you are picking you're you not finding something of any historical accuracy and then ratcheting it up you're just creating it and then ratcheting it up yeah last one justin Watkins, five seven oh nine thousand. the number here at battleborn injury lawyers it's 420 yeah what is the latest with the cannabis lounges yeah, no, I think we're progressing towards that. I mean, by the end of the year, I think we'll they'll, they'll be in place. Um, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where how how much I want this to blow up. Right. I mean, I think obviously, you know, we have the potential to be New Amsterdam. Right. And, and be the epicenter of that. But man. I don't know, man. I, I like when I travel abroad and I don't smell weed everywhere and it's not, you know, I don't know. I don't know how it's not going to affect the city, old man. It does. It doesn't dude. make the whole city stink. <laughs> it does make the it whole does, city stink. Dude, it does. It it does. We got off at the airport. I'm in the parking garage getting my truck that's been there for a week and it smells like weed. Well, because somebody probably smoked before they got yeah, on the plane. Right. Legally. Yeah. You know, that's I used to do it all the time. Yeah. See <laughs> that it's everywhere now. It's everywhere that any tourist wants to be in this town. And it's only going to get worse with the with the lounges. Maybe it gets better with the lounges. Maybe I, isn't that the point? Yeah, uh, the complaint was people were in casinos are going into the garages to smoke. Right, so the right. garages reek of weed. Yep. Give them some place to freaking smoke. Yeah, maybe it gets better. I don't know. Um, but I was all for it. I mean, I was in the legislative session and that passed all this stuff. Right, like I I was all for it. I'm the yes vote. Thank you. But <laughs> but <laughs> we, we but man, it it's it's uh it's a lot it's a lot and i think it has the ability to turn off a lot of tourists it hasn't yet but i think it has the ability to get there i think it has the ability to attract a lot of other tourists that may not come here it's the question is is that what we want to appeal to i don't i'm not so sure Foods, anymore food sales go up i'm telling you it's gonna help okay <laughs> when's your restaurant coming Oh, I'll jump God, back in. Once the weed, once the weed comes and you're back in a restaurant, you got a restaurant idea? Oh, you had one. Oh, come on, I want to go in. So yeah. I've always had it's an still idea. Alive. It's still alive. We yeah. still, we still have a plan to uh, move out of radio and just work at the restaurant. I'll That's right. In front of the house, back of best the house. reality show that would ever exist oh is you guys, Co you know, moonlighting Cofield yep. Co Company over at the pizza restaurant, screaming at each other. Yes, and uh, the boss of all of us is Ari. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. With the uh, 13th pick in this draft, the Pittsburgh Steelers select Troy Edwards, hey, we got wide receiver from Louisiana Tech. <laughs> it's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft. 
Yeah, not every first-round pick turns out to be a great one. Trey Edwards, 61 catches his first year for the Steelers after that. Couldn't get past 20 catches. They don't want that. They don't want that. They got to nail what they're doing here in the first round. Path to the draft. Let's get to the Steelers. Number 20 pick in this draft. Brooke Pryor, always nice enough to uh, give us a skinny on Pittsburgh. Working for ESPN.com. Brooke, how are you? I am not bad. I am hoping that they don't go with a Trey Edwards type this year. Really hoping for a much better draft than that one. Yes, yes. Good teams are fun to cover. Lousy teams, not so much. Um, first of all, before we get into what they could do in this draft and needs and all that and pr- predictions and projections, um, I wanted to reference your story about the Steelers holding firm to kind of a draft and development strategy. Um, I thought it was a really good read. Uh, why'd you go with this idea? And tell the Vegas audience what the, what the story was about. You know, it was interesting. I was down at NFL owners meetings. Uh, last month, and that was just the thing that I heard over and over again from Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert. They just kept saying, you know, we're, we, wanted, we wanted to keep our draft capital. We were asking them about um, how they decided to go with Mitch Trubisky uh, in free agency, and they signed him so quickly, and just the thing that we heard was, well, he didn't cost us any draft capital. And that signaled to me that, hey, maybe they had some preliminary conversations about you know, Deshaun Watson or maybe even Russell Wilson, but I don't think it was ever going to get very far because it seems like they are so convinced that their way of drafting and developing, particularly quarterbacks, but, I mean, homegrown talent across the board, that's just the way that the Steelers do business. And to me, one of the most notable things that I that I learned from this as I was talking with Doug Whaley, former Bills GM, spent over a decade in the Steelers front office. He said, look, the Roonies, their whole business is football. They they live it, they breathe it. It's not just a side business. And they've been around for a long time. They've seen a lot of fads in how in how teams are constructed. So if this if this ends up being a fad, they're like, you know what? You guys go for it. We've seen our method work. It worked in the seventies. Hasn't exactly been as successful as of late, but they still believe that, that their method is going to be the one that carries them through to another Super Bowl. It just requires a lot of patience at this point. So as we get closer to the draft, I've seen a lot in terms of people speculating what the top needs are for this team. What would you put at the top of the list in terms of positional needs heading into the first round? You know, I mean, quarterback is obviously, I think, the one on everyone's mind. But I don't think the Steelers have to draft a quarterback in the first round. They set themselves up well by adding Mitch Trubisky that – if the board doesn't fall the right way, their hands aren't tied. They don't have to move up to draft Malik Willis if he's the guy that they want or you know, try to trade back into the first round to get Desmond Ritter. Um, but I think beyond quarterback, they really need a strong safety and they need some wide receivers. Uh, the good news is the Steelers are pretty good at drafting wide receivers. They've drafted Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster uh, in recent years. That, I think, bodes well. Chase Claypool, obviously, too. Um, I don't think they're going to go after one in the first round necessarily, maybe the second or second or third round. Um, the other thing is, though, the strong safety position. I mean, they let Terrell Edmonds go in free agency. He's still unsigned. I think that he could still end up back with the Steelers, but it also seems like because they have not signed anyone to this point or they haven't you know, firmly decided to bring him back, that they're going to try to draft a safety if one is available. But the Steelers have set themselves up well that they don't have to press for necessarily any one certain position, especially in the first round that they can kind of take best available, whether it's any of those three positions or perhaps 
a defensive lineman, looking at a tackle or a defensive tackle or a nose tackle. Do you think the way this breaks down, because it seems like there's like a lot of guys who are graded out similarly by draft experts, depending on how it breaks down, you think they're a candidate to maybe trade back, move back if not anything available there for them? You know, I don't think that they're going to trade back. I think that they will use that number 20 pick. I could see them maybe moving up, but I don't think that they're going to trade back out of the first or back just farther. And it, But I could see them using that second-round pick and maybe some of their other draft capital to move back either into the first or early in the second um, in case, you know, Desmond Ritter and, if, you know, the way that things fall, they're like, you know what, we really, really like uh, maybe a guy like Devontae Wyatt or Jordan Davis. If he's there at 20 and they see, yep, we've got to get him, um, and then they still feel like Desmond Ritter is there, they feel like they can go get him. I could see them trying to get back either early in the second or, or late in the first, trying to get back up there to grab him. Brooke Pryor, ESPN.com, Steelers writer. In the division, we've you know we've seen a lot of big news around the other three teams and you know highly accomplished uh, Bengals this last year. Where are the pitfalls for those three teams? Because here's what I'll just the reason I'm saying this is we we can draw parallels between the Raiders and the Steelers in that there are a lot of people around the Raiders who are like, what's the point? Raiders are trying, but my God, the AFC West is ridiculous. And I wonder if there's some Steeler fans who are saying the same thing. So, like, where should people worry about the Ravens, the Browns, and the Bengals maybe not being that good? I think that that's a, a really great comparison and a great point. I mean. You look at the way that this division is set up, and the Steelers have run it for so long. Last year, I think, was a big changing of the guard with the Bengals. To me, the Bengals still don't have a lot of pitfalls as an organization. They're young. They've, I think, invested some in their offensive line. To me, that's still kind of an area of weakness until I see them on the field. But then when I look at the Browns and the Ravens, the Ravens seem to have issues with injuries every year. Last year especially was a really tough one. Um, that is something to keep an eye on. But when I look at the Browns, I mean, yes, they brought in Deshaun Watson. Whenever he's able to play, that's huge. But it could be six games. It could be more. Who knows when he's actually going to get on the field. So I think a lot of this division Yes, they, they made some big splash moves, particularly the Browns and the Bengals are coming off of a Super Bowl appearance, but I don't think it's maybe quite as daunting as the AFC West where they've got Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. That's a lot scarier to me than the way the AFC North is set up right now. Brooke Pryor's with us, ESPN.com, covers the Steelers. Back to your story and just to build on the draft and develop, um, do you think the Steelers have the flexibility? Can they change their mind in the future? Because, you know, when I read it, I was like, you know, the draft and develop thing is real nice when you have Ben Roethlisberger for all that time. When you need a quarterback, sometimes you you really don't have time to be patient. Right. No, I, I, I hope that the Steelers can change their mind. And it was interesting, too, what Doug Whaley said, that they're always going to take a look at a guy that it's going to be a case-by-case thing, and I do think that there's signs that the Steelers are modernizing their strategy, even just a little bit. I mean, they traded away their first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick a couple years ago. It's the first time they'd ever used their first-round pick to go get a veteran. Uh, They traded up to draft Devin Bush. They will do things originally, but it's not going to change kind of the organizational idea. Um, I don't think that you're going to see them 
you know, go all in for a guy next year. You know, if, if Aaron Rodgers says, gosh, you know what, or, or Tom Brady says, you know what, I, I think that I want to go play for the Steelers. They're not, I think, going to give him a huge, massive contract unless, or make some, some significant trade, unless they feel like the only player they need, the only thing they're missing is a quarterback. If they check all the other boxes and they're still sitting there with Mitch Trubisky and they're like, I just don't know if we can win with him, then yeah, maybe they go out and, and get a guy um, to fill that. But I think this year in particular, they didn't have all of these other holes filled. I mean, when you look at what they lost in the wide receiver group with, with Juju going elsewhere and, and James Washington leaving, even Ray Ray McLeod, that is a big question mark. Strong safety is a question mark. Cornerback, they let Joe Hayden go. They need to add another cornerback. Yes, they got Levi Wallace, but I that's still, to me, a shaky position. Even running back, you've got Najee Harris, but beyond him, if, if Najee gets hurt, that's a huge problem. Um, this is a team that, yes, they have T.J. Watt and they have Minka Fitzpatrick. They do have Najee, um, but they're still, they, they were never a quarterback away or, or one player away from having the Super Bowl window wide open. So I think if they get in that position again, then maybe they start to get aggressive. And it'll be interesting to see, too, what happens with the GM job. I still get the sense that it's going to be an internal promotion, whether it's you know just Brandon Hunt or Brandon Hunt and Omar Khan together or just Omar Khan. But it seems like whoever becomes the general manager will continue on the organizational um, mandate, uh, but maybe they tweak things a little bit or they get a little bit more aggressive just as, as younger, newer guys. Uh, and yet I keep seeing uh, back to who they could pick, you know, when they have all these needs, I keep seeing Kenny Pickett mock to the Steelers, which I think is just silly uh, in general. Uh, what's your reaction to the over under number? Uh, Pickett is slated for a uh, pick 10 and a half. That's a tiebreaker. What do you think? He's in the town. Do you think he goes in the top 10 or, you know, is he a guy who's available for the Steelers at 20 and beyond? I mean, I think it all comes down to the Panthers. Uh, I mean, they're going to get priority on the quarterback position. Um, To me, I I think the Panthers will be the first team to take a quarterback, and it's just going to come down to their preference between Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. I think Kenny Pickett is ready to be an NFL starter right now. I don't think his ceiling is as high as Malik Willis. I think Willis needs to sit a year and develop and and get comfortable in the NFL and work out some of those inconsistencies that he has. But I think his upside is tremendous. But I think it's just going to come down to the Panthers saying either we need a quarterback right now or we can afford to go another year with Sam Darnold as our quarterback and wait for Malik Willis to be ready. Um, I think whoever goes uh, first there, the other one, might fall to the Steelers, but, I mean, they've got the Saints ahead of them. They have some other teams in front of them that will also be quarterback needy. So, it's to me, it's really funny when um, some of our national analysts who are so good at what they do, our draft analysts, do mocks. The Steelers always, you know, end up with a quarterback, whether it's Pickett or Willis. And then when I go to do my mocks in a draft simulator, those guys are never there. So I don't know what simulator they get to use that I don't have, but I, it's going to be interesting. We do our, our NFL Nation mock draft this coming weekend to air before uh, the real draft, and I'm interested to see if either of those guys ends up being available when I get to make my pick. Brooke, thank you. Very good spot. Always appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. There she is, Brooke Pryor. Covers the Steelers.
You're betting over Pickett, right? Over ten and a half. Betting he's over. Not, he's not going inside ten. This is stupid. No, and and actually Boyd has uh, three and a half quarterbacks first round under only minus one seventy five. Okay, you've been telling that for a couple weeks. Yeah, uh, I've always I've I've bet it every year. I'm always going under uh, on that. We always do this thing with quarterbacks, and especially in a year like this where there's multiple like people with respected minds saying, actually, these guys probably wouldn't have gone in the first round if that was the case any other year. So ridiculous. Aviators game tonight, seven oh five. El Paso, the Padres are in town. James Caprellian, former uh, Yankee prospect, one of the he's not exactly a prospect anymore, but a guy who had a nice year last year before uh, going down 123 Ks and 119 innings. Get out to the game tonight. Bark in the park today. $2 beer night tomorrow. You can get your tickets at Ticketmaster.com. You can listen to the game starting at 6.50 on Raider Nation Radio 920 and Russ Langer.